Welcome to the Weedworks Podcast. It's blunt talk about working in marijuana. I'm your host, Matt Hoffman. The point in this podcast is for you to hear stories, experiences, and opinions about working in the marijuana field. Hear firsthand field reports from people who are actually working in the cannabis industry, like business owners, human resources managers, executives, anyone who has anything to do with the exciting, emerging, essential cannabis sector. And we have conversations with job seekers just like you who are curious about entering the cannabis industry. We find out their stories, their backgrounds, their hopes and goals, and answer a lot of the essential questions of, will I get arrested if I work in the cannabis industry? Is there a real career path in cannabis? Will I get a living wage? Will I be treated right? All the questions that are on your mind that you've thought of or you haven't will be answered in the Weedworks Blunt Talk About Working in Marijuana podcast. Make sure you subscribe and tell your friends to download anywhere you get your podcasts. I'm your host, Matt Hoffman, and let me welcome you to Weedworks Blunt Talk About Working in Marijuana. Weedworks Blunt Talk About Working in Marijuana is brought to you by Handgrown.Jobs. If you've always wanted a job in the cannabis industry, then look no further than Handgrown.Jobs. Handgrown.Jobs connects cannabis job seekers to cannabis employers across the nation. Go to Handgrown.Jobs, create a profile, upload your resume, and begin the search for your new cannabis career. Go to Handgrown.Jobs to get into the essential and exciting cannabis industry. Handgrown.Jobs sponsors and supports the Weedworks Blunt Talk About Working in Marijuana podcast, and we're very grateful to that organization, you should definitely check them out. If you would like to participate in the Weedworks Blunt Talk About Working in Marijuana podcast and you want to share your story or you have questions, thoughts, concerns, then you can reach out to us noon to 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time through the Weedworks podcast hotline. It's area code 616-206-3240. That connects you in studio to the Weedworks podcast. Tuesdays through Thursday, noon to 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 616-206-3240. And we will help you in every way we possibly can. That is what we do here. Since we're talking about helping people, Our Cannabis is a nonprofit organization that has partnered with Weedworks. In order to better serve the cannabis community, Our Cannabis has made workforce development resources available to cannabis job seekers. It does this by helping people that want a job in the cannabis industry make resumes, practice their interview skills, and start to learn some of the practical skills that will help give you a leg up in the very competitive world of a cannabis career. Our Cannabis makes all of these resources available to community members at no cost. Our Cannabis is available to help you if you would like some assistance creating a resume, practicing your interview skills, and developing some of the skills that will help you get a job in the cannabis industry, then send an email to contact at rcannabis.org. That's contact at ourcannabis.org. And the staff will be more than happy to help you get your cannabis career growing. We look forward to seeing you in the cannabis field. Now let's get into today's show. So today's guest is Glenn. And he is actually Brett's general manager. So Brett was on the podcast, which is published. And I'm very excited about that. I'm cranking through the backlog of podcasts. Well, anyway, so Brett came on and about 10 minutes later, I get a message and he says, hey, my jam wants to come on. Can he? And I was like, yep. <laughs> so this is really, this is really interesting. We are going to talk to Brett, who is the assistant general manager. And now we're talking to Glenn, 
who is the general manager at the same company. So what I want to know is, did Glenn hire Brett and why? I'm really, I'm really excited about this. This is cool. We're going to ask a lot of the same questions that we ask everybody, but what's so interesting is the different answers. So let's get on the phone with Glenn and find out what his story, what his background is and how long he's been in cannabis and what his experience has been and what thoughts he has to share with you guys. So let's get Glenn on the phone right now. Hello. Hey, Glenn, this is Matt Hoffman. How's it going? It's going good, man. How are you? Oh, you know, another day at the office for me. I've got a whole bunch of podcasts today, which is good because I am super sunburned and I don't need to be outside anymore. <laughs> I hear you, man. I, I caught myself a little bit more sun than I would have liked to this weekend myself. Yeah, I'm good with it, though. I'm good with it. We had a cold snap here in Michigan, and everybody was like, summer's over. Fall's here. I wish summer was here. And then it got like it got 90 degrees again. So, <laughs> yeah. Careful what you wish for, right? I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, thanks for participating in the WeedWorks podcast. I was uh, pretty excited to hear your perspective. You know, we talked to Brett last week. And now we're talking to you and you guys work at the same company. So it'll be interesting to see where your guys' thoughts line up and where they differ. So thanks for participating. Hey, no, thanks for having me, man. I, I appreciate it. I've actually been looking forward to it. I, I listened to uh, the show that you did with Brett. And yeah, uh, yeah it, was, it was pretty good, man. I'm happy to uh, to participate. Yeah, well, thanks. Let's just dive right in. So I ask everybody, you know, what their story is, what their background is. So just give us a little bit of idea what your story is and who you are and what you're about. Right on, man. Yeah, so uh, I grew up in a place called the Quad Cities in Iowa, and uh, I moved to uh, Colorado about uh, six years ago. Right, when they, right around the time that they went medical, uh, I was really interested in the field. Obviously, I wasn't old enough at the time to, to get a job in the field, but uh, I had family that moved out here, and I came out here, and got my badge and got started in the industry and just kind of fell in love with what I was doing. And I've been doing it ever since. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, 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 a, it's more than just a job, man. It's kind of a lifestyle. You know what I mean? I do. Yeah, I, I do very much. Given it a lifestyle, what are some of the things that are benefits of the lifestyle? Well, I mean, cheap weed. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, it's, it's a lot more than that. We help people. Don't get me wrong. We, Several people that are just you know looking looking to get higher or whatever, but there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of really great things about marijuana that you know it's a lot of people don't know you know a, a lot of great health benefits and a better quality of life too you know what I mean there's there's been too too long there's been like a negative stigma with, that surrounds marijuana it's just not true a lot of misinformation out there you know and it's nice to uh, be able to be part of the movement as you know undoing that just education a lot of people don't know anything you know when, when, when they when they're first starting we, it's actually surprising uh how many people we see a day that know nothing about pot or any of its benefits medically yeah yeah well we're definitely going to talk about the stigma for sure because it is real it, it's real for people that use cannabis it's real for the people that work in the industry from friends and family and colleagues. And even as a business owner, there are times where I've wanted to access professional services and they've gone, hey, Matt, I like you as a person, but we just can't do business with you because you're involved in the cannabis industry. And I said, well, well yeah. And, and everybody thinks that, that, you know, we're just, everybody in the industry is a, a Cheech and Chong 
kind of person and it's just <laughs> right. not the case you know yeah. we're, we're legit business as well and there's just a lot of a uh, lot of disinformation and it seems to me in Colorado the, the further and deeper that we get into this the more and more that starts to go away definitely still alive and real but uh things are are progressing like when we first started here we did, it was next impossible to get uh any any banks to mess yeah. with us at all the banking was really really hard which is challenging for any business especially businesses that you see a, a large influxes in cash flow it, it was challenging you, you you'd run into situations where where you had not not okay amounts of cash on site mm-hmm. uh it, it was it was a lot harder to keep accurate records mm-hmm. uh because it, again nobody nobody wanted to to mess around with recreational marijuana because it's it's technically illegal at the federal level, which is another ridiculous thing all in itself. But I don't I don't know if there's enough time in the day to to touch on that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or if there's a point. You know, I mean, those are those are big wheels that are going to take much much more energy and effort than than I think everybody realized. You know, I thought that. Well, my views were like, you know, cannabis is good, so it's a good thing and criminal justice reform and social justice and all these other things. And no, no, nobody cares about any of that. It's <laughs> nobody. I mean, and that's, that's the truth. You know, I've, I spent time lobbying in DC. I mean, it, it simply is as it is now, cannabis is not a large enough industry for anyone to give a crap about. Go, oh, well, that's, that's a fact. Yeah. You go, Oh, well, you know, Michigan did $200 million in sales in July. Well, they go, dude, we don't care. We wipe our ass with that. Like $200 million, whatever <laughs> we're talking billions and trillions and there are other industries that represent those those staggering numbers and then you know they get their they get their piece first so usually when yeah when you talk to some legislature they're like they're like yeah you know you're cool you've got your champions i mean jared polis is freaking cool i don't know what your take on him is but i met him quite a few times and i i like him he's he just he was just a champion of cannabis really early on and Kind of yeah, there. absolutely. And, and, you know, uh, it, it really ended up paying off for him here yeah. in, in Colorado. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> uh, but, but, you know, uh, I, I, I like him. I, I try not to get too political. You Like you touched on, it's it's really difficult uh, or rare anymore, aside from the select chosen few that are really willing to take on yeah. that kind of a topic or issue. And even fewer still uh, that do so successfully. And Paulus has uh, definitely been the, uh, the exception to that rule. Yeah, it just needs to, to a more progressive line of thinking, and Colorado specifically, we're we're in a uh, a good place uh, as far as you know our regulations and just the way that things run. You know, it took a long time for everything to get here. It was it was not it was not as simple as those that that weren't really in the industry or around thought. You know, it was it was a process. Things had to change in the market. Things had to stabilize. And and it's still changing every day. They're still trying to uh, run this in, in the best way that they can. It, you know, with anything that's new, everybody's just kind of muddling through it together. And I'm just grateful to, uh, to be able to say that I've been a part of it uh, in its early stages. The changes that I've experienced in the few years that I've been uh, in the industry compared to when it started is it's just crazy. It's a crazy thing to witness firsthand. You so, know. So what are some of the good things that have changed? And what are some well, of the bad things all, too? Both sides. Well, we'll start. I, I guess we can start with some of the bad things. I guess is. I guess our tax rates, I would have to say, are, are incredibly high. You see, it's regulated more like a regular business and, and treated like a like a regular business. Okay. Let's go a little bit. Yeah, let's go a little bit deeper on that. What do you mean by treated like a regular business? What are some examples of that? Well, you know, besides well, banking, which not, is not there. There are very few. 
Well, even even uh, we'll use like like alcohol for example, and, and alcohol is a, is a kind of a. I, I try. I generally try to avoid using this as an example because I don't. You don't want marijuana to be treated like alcohol, right? It's not the same thing. As a matter, of, right. you could really make the argument that cannabis is far safer than alcohol. There's certainly far far fewer deaths related to cannabis yearly than there are alcohol. Yet alcohol is subject to much looser regulations than than we are in the cannabis industry, and this is this could be you know taxes. They're taxed far less than us, as well as marketing. You know we're in the cannabis industry in Colorado. I'm not sure about the laws in Michigan, but we're severely limited in uh, what platforms we can utilize for any kind of marketing campaign whatsoever. Yeah, you know it, it's really hard to advertise, especially if you know if if you're not part of a, a big a big gigantic dispensary chain. There are a lot of like, for lack of a better term, mom and pop stores. And it just makes it really hard to, uh, to get your, your brand out there. For example, uh, we can't use any kind of highway signage. Uh, oh, we're really? completely, that's yeah. We're, we're oh. not now the only, there are loopholes. Like we can, uh, if, if we enroll in the adopt a, a highway program, oh, yeah. The highway, oh, yeah. <laughs> which is why if you ever take a trip through Colorado, yeah. you'll see <laughs> this highway has been adopted by, and it'll be totally a, a of some kind. Yeah. Um, but as far as like billboards or anything like that, uh, we can the, the thing is, is we have to be able to provide actual physical proof that whatever media outlet that we are using to advertise us, uh, no, no, it has to be, we have to be able to prove that 70% of the demographic that are seeing whatever content we're putting out, whether it be a billboard or a radio ad or anything of the sort, uh, even printed media, they have to be over the age of 21. And in a lot of cases, it's, it's incredibly difficult to provide that kind of data, which would rule that platform out for us as oh, yeah. viable advertising. Yeah, and well, and that's further compounded on when you look at, okay, fine, well, I'll just go on Facebook and just do targeted ads. Well, yeah, Facebook's policy towards cannabis is absolutely not. So yes. the, the tools that could find those specific audiences are unavailable. And that's where exactly. super creative marketing has to come in. I just had a conversation with a young lady named Tori about this. And I gave her the example, we went and got stencils with a pot leaf and it said a hand-grown dot jobs. It was when everyone was coming back to school. There's a, there's a few colleges here in the city that I live in. So we went and graffiti spray painted the entire city for like eight hours with that uh, aerosol spray chalk, which is a fucking mess, by the way. And uh, so we just slammed the city. It was super fun. That was one way that we got traffic. Now, I called the city and was like, do I need a permit? You know, am I going to get a, a citation? And they're like, well, it's not in the ordinance. And I was like, well, then it's not illegal. You know, it's not against exactly. the rules. So. <laughs> but, but I mean, you know, that's that's kind of the position that they put us in, you know. Right. You have to get incredibly creative. And again, it's a, it's a gray area. You got to you gotta be real careful with what you're doing. Right. But, it, it, you know, it, there's just, again, that comes back to the negative stigma with pot. Rather than demonizing something that should be normalized, that's my my big thing. Any anytime I hear people, oh, legalize it, legalize it. Yeah, legalization is great, but we, what we really need to do is normalize because it's the only way to get the positive information out there about cannabis that there is, and so many people just don't know. Don't know. There are still there are still people, uh, places in uh, illegal states where uh like like cbd or hemp is is treated like marijuana and that, that you i'm sure know that that's uh, couldn't be farther from the actual the, the facts 
It's, they're two very different things, but there's just nobody really knows. I've I, I just seen a few months ago uh, a news story. I believe it was in Texas. A gentleman coming in and uh, arresting a, the owner of a CBD store because they had hemp flour. And oh well, you're not going to sell pot in my in, in my town. <laughs> it's like well, well that, you're right. I'm not, not selling yeah. marijuana. <laughs> <You dumb shit. laughs> Jesus. It's like, uh, damn, like it's, it's not, that's not what it is, but it's, it's the uphill battle. Let me ask, know? let me ask you this more, more about you personally. Did you face any stigma from friends and family when you're like, okay, I'm well, okay. Did you move to Colorado to get into the cannabis industry or was that just independent? Well, yeah. So they ended up being independent where, where, okay. where, where I live. It's kind of a unique situation. The marijuana industry is the the most abundantly available line of work in the area of the state that I'm in. Yeah. As a matter of fact, in, in Trinidad, which is the town that I live in, we actually have more dispensaries than we do gas stations, grocery stores, and restaurants <laughs> combined. That's a lot. So that is it, a lot. I, 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 don't get me wrong. I, you know, I I, I was a, a marijuana consumer when I moved to the state, okay. and that that was all. It, it, it definitely. Definitely uh, was a perk of moving here, but that was not my original intentions to come out here to, to get into the industry. So what did it you... just kind of uh, worked out that way because it, it's really becoming the most dependable job market in the area. We're seeing that across the board, where the states have designated their their cannabis programs essential. When we look right now, the people that are suffering the most are the, the people in the service industry. My friends who are servers and bartenders and barbacks and bouncers and things like that, like they're the ones that are super fucked. And yeah. those those skills translate exactly right into cannabis. I mean if you can be a bartender, then you can most certainly be an awesome bud tender. Like you just have to Absolutely. Learn, learn the learn the bud, obviously, but the customer service is almost exactly the same. And so, yeah, no, it, it, it yeah. totally is. <laughs> so, did you face any? What did, What did your friend and family think when you're like, okay, I'm getting a job in marijuana? Were they like shocked? Or well, like, you know, I mean, sweet. It came. It came with. It was. It was mixed. You know, obviously, you know, my, my pothead friends are like, oh, great, that's that's awesome. You hook us up on a bag. Yeah, you know up. what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> then there were there were others that were like, oh, well, you're gonna. They, they swore up and down that that the industry was gonna fail and. Mm. All the, the government's going to step in and shut you down. And how do you feel about you're selling drugs? You, you're, you're contributing right. to the, the degradation of society. And <laughs> it was definitely it was like, man, that, wow. you, you guys are, are, are way off base. Yeah. And you're but laying all the heavy stuff to, on me. Thank you. <laughs> right. Thanks. I, I'm just out here trying to grind the dollar. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, uh, it ended up being the best decision I've ever made. It, it really, number one, it's, it's a rapidly, rapidly growing industry. And uh, there's so much opportunity for growth. And what I found in the cannabis industry that, that was the most unique to me is the opportunity in the room for growth. And that, that's not to say that there's not room for growth in other industries. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, but not uh, but cannabis. It, it, it just, it's, yeah, it's not, not the same. You have, it's, I've never experienced an industry where, where your growth and opportunity was so heavily influenced by your own, your own will and your own action. Yeah. And, that's really the, the big thing. And, and another thing, too, is uh, people don't really, as a, a whole, view what, what, we're, what we do uh, as a legitimate business. Now, what I mean by that is it's, it, it's kind of like a bar it, in that regard. It's a different right. kind of atmosphere. How are you going to make at a the career end of the out day, of this? Like, that, right, but, the, but the, the thing is, is, is that that perspective is flawed. You know, it, mm-hmm. I, I, I look at it like this. I, I don't work at a pot store. You know, we're a retail store. We're a retailer. That's what we do. We're, we're in the retail industry. We just happen to be retailing marijuana. <laughs> right. 
but you know that uh, that mentality has has really served me well, um, it's, and it's allowed me to really kind of write my own ticket as far as my career path in, in the industry. Just a little background on that. I, I got so here. I'm not I'm not sure what the the rules are in, in Michigan, but here you have to be a resident of the state, and then you have to get uh, a badge, yeah, an occupational license, in order to be considered for employment at a dispensary. And we don't have that. I wish uh, we I, did. You know, it definitely, uh, it helps on the dispensary side of things right? Uh, because the state handles all of the background checks right. and I'm like, you, you have to, you, you, you have to jump those hurdles before you can even consider applying, which, which makes the hiring process on the dispensary side a, a little bit easier. And wow. obviously it, it's still involved, but well, no, we were, one thing that we were running in, we were running into issues where there were staffing companies that were sending people to work at places and they would do a background check and the background check would have something that would prohibit that individual from having that cannabis job. And then they would send them there to work anyway. Oh no, <laughs> that's right. terrible. Right. Which is, yeah, that's, that's terrible. Yeah. Bad news bears for everybody. So I, absolutely. I, I like that the state does that. And I like it because if I was working at hand grown dispensary and I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to come over to Glenn's then I could just come over like that background. Everything's right. done. So I, I right. like that a lot. I do. As long as you have that badge, we we know right. at least at least uh, you know the bare minimum. The you know the criminal history and, and everything is is good to yeah. go. So yeah. that's definitely nice that they do that for us. It also creates a deeper hiring pool. You know, yeah. we know that we're at least getting the bottom of the bar has been set before they've even yeah. attempted to apply with us. Yeah. Well, which yeah, is nice. effort too. I mean, you got to go. I was out there in 2015, and I was like, oh, what is this? I'm going to, I'm I, so I just went downtown Deadford. I, I went in, I can't remember the name of the, the building or the, the place, but I went in and just checked it out. Does everybody have to go into Denver? Or do they have hubs around the state now? Uh, so they, they, they have hubs around the state now, okay. which but, is nice. It used to be that there was only the, the one, uh, the one spot. Yeah. <laughs> but now uh, they've got like five or six all over the state, which I, is very nice. Yeah. I liked it because it, it said, okay, well, I'm serious. This person is serious. They drove to freaking Denver to get this. <laughs> right. Like this dude wants to work like cool. So I, yeah, I, I like it's, that. It's funny that you mentioned that too. When, when I, when I first moved here, like I said, I'm in Trinidad and I'm, which is the southernmost tip of the state where we're right on the border of New Mexico. Gotcha. And uh, when I initially applied for my badge, Denver was the closest MED office to me. And they were booked for their, the, the earliest appointment was like, I don't know, maybe two, two and a half months down the line oh, from the time yeah. that I called the Senate. And, uh, there's actually, um, spot in Grand Junction now, which is about five hours from me that could get me in uh, a week from the time that I called them. So I, yeah, I actually drove about 10 hours that day. It was a five hour trip there. I was there at 8 AM. <laughs> I left home about three at three in the morning <laughs> and, uh, got my badge and was, it's the great thing too is when you uh, so long as you pass your background if you get an AM appointment a lot of times they'll get you your badge that day oh nice so by, by 10 o'clock I had my badge in my hand and I, I drove another 5 hours back home I, I had about 100 resumes printed up and ready to go and started applying that very day the second I, I, I passed back to Trinidad I, I was uh, dropping off resumes and I got a job the very next day yeah talk to me about your entry point like where did you start, bud tender in the growth facility? Yeah, so, uh, I started with a dispensary. I started with a dispensary named Magnolia Road as a, a regular bud tender. Okay, I worked. I was a bud tender for about four months, uh, and I got promoted 
to nice. shift supervisor. And I did that for about another three or four months. The company that I'm with now, Canna City, uh, they actually opened their first dispensary right directly next door to uh, Magnolia Road. <laughs> yep. And uh, I would would meet, I met the GM of that store, and we would just kind of kind of talk and bullshit, you know, on breaks outside. And uh, one day, uh, they, he had an opening at, at his company, and he offered me an entry level management position uh, for a little bit more money. So I took it, and uh, yeah, I've, I've been with Canisteo ever since. I did the. I was a manager with them for oh, about five more months after that, and then I got. Uh, they opened up a second store, and uh, they promoted me to general manager and, and moved me to that store to run it. And I've been there ever since. Yeah. So, what was it like being involved in that second operation being built? You know, it it was uh, very educational. You know, it, I got to see and and actually help directly with with the licensing and and I got to see get a better understanding of what it actually takes to go from just an, an empty building to completed dispensary fully licensed and operational and it it really is it's a it's a lot more involved of a process than I ever could have realized but I mean it was it was a great thing to learn and also to getting in with a company that's that's just starting fresh and it really gives it really gave me the opportunity to grow with the company yeah because at the time that I started with this company, while I don't get me wrong, I was knowledgeable enough. There were a lot of things that I that I didn't know, and I've had the opportunity to learn a great deal about both the dispensary side of things and also the the more uh, red tape areas of mm-hmm. of the regulations and and how how the relationship really works between the state and then your local licensing authorities as well. Because that's that's a lot of people don't know that, but not not only do we have to get approval and, and licensing from the state itself, we also have to go through the same process and jump through the same hoops yep. for whatever local government there is in, in whatever location that you're, that you're trying to open up. Yeah, uh, and, and in a lot of cases, uh, actually, that that can prove more challenging than dealing with the state. Because the, the state is, especially when you're in the store that I run, for example, where it's in Walsenburg, Colorado, it's about 30 miles north of Trinidad. And it's a really small town that is not nearly as progressive when it comes to cannabis licensing as like Trinidad is. That really varies depending upon the area that you're in. In some cases, surprisingly so, like Colorado Springs is an, is an excellent example of this. Uh, they're a gigantic market that's a really big place. Next to Denver, I believe it's one of the biggest cities in the state. Yep. And it's actually illegal in the, in the Springs to, uh, for recreate. There is no recreational marijuana. They're medical only. And that's because of, that's the, the local government didn't want recreational marijuana in their city or in, in the, the entire county. Yeah. Which is surprising because it's a, a huge market opportunity. Uh, but yeah, it, it just comes down to, um, the negative stigma and, and people that, that are in power in these areas not not sharing the same progressive ideology on the industry as the officials at the state level. That That's why it's, I mean, that's why it's so important to vote. I mean, it's so important to vote in the local elections. Yeah. President oh, yeah. Well, and I would somewhat argue that, that it's even more important. I, in, I, I do. Yeah, absolutely. Because whoever's, you know, who's ever on the, on the, the township board or the city commission, they're the ones that go, okay, yep, we're going to have cannabis or we're not. So get to know your freaking local candidates and, and find out what their position on it. Because the truth is, is that what we've seen here in Michigan is we get a keeping up with the Joneses effect where there's a, 
there's a township. If you hold your left hand up and look at your fingernails, down by the crook of your thumb, there's a little town there called Morenzi. They don't have a McDonald's. That's how that's how small. Oh, wow. Right. That's how we measure towns in the U.S. is by how many McDonald's they have. No <laughs> McDonald's. And um, we, there was a caregiver who, you know, is just a, a grower in Michigan. And he ran and he ended up getting a seat in the in the township on the township board. And he was able to persuade the other board members to create, I think it's a 120 or 130 acre cannabis park. Of just sprawling, multi, multi land use, multi licensed facility, and the really the issue that they've run into now is that they don't have enough housing, and they don't have enough hotels, and they don't have a McDonald's for all the laborers that are coming in to build these facilities. And oh wow! What's happened is they had some issue with a bridge. The bridge was, I don't know about bridges, but anyway, something bad was happening to this bridge. Well, because they came out of the gates swinging on the on being very progressive with cannabis, they had some money in the coffers to begin the process of repairing the bridge. And, you know, cannabis isn't the, the budget fix-all. It's not. <laughs> it's, it's not. It's definitely not. It's drops in the bucket. But you know what? It's nice for municipalities to be able to go, hey, you know what? We got we have something in the slush fund. We've got money coming in right. where we didn't before. And what we've seen is other municipal leaders have contacted the Morency leadership, which is Jerome. He's an awesome guy. I'm going to try to get him on the show. And they said, hey, talk to us about this cannabis stuff. Like, how did you do it? Why did you know? It seems to be working out. The benefit of Morency is that in the in that geographic area, any of their neighboring municipalities that, that have seen the writing on the wall and have gotten over the stigma, which is real, they're too far behind. By the time that they adopt an ordinance and set aside zoning and get everybody there, everyone in the area is going to do business in Morency because they've already built a facility. So, right. And, and there's another example. There was a municipality that needed a fire truck. And that's a sexy one. It's like, okay, well, and they, they bought a fire truck with cannabis revenues. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it, but I mean, it, it it's, it's great, though. I mean, it's going to be the, the answer to all financial woes uh, for a county, but it definitely stimulates the economy, creates jobs, and yeah. it creates, more, most importantly, it creates a reason for outside traffic to come to your town, which is always, a well, I guess I should be careful using the word always, but it's generally a good thing. The more tourist traffic that you can bring in through your area, the better it's going to be for your area. Well, you keep residents there, too. The, 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 People, people exactly. won't move away. Exactly. You have to give people a reason to want to be there. Yeah. Small counties that are so anti-cannabis, yet there's more bars than gas stations in a lot of these towns. Right. You know what I mean? It's crazy when you really look at the statistics and the fact. Alcohol is far more dangerous than cannabis ever could have been. It's more socially acceptable. And, and that comes down to the leadership in these areas. And just a, a simple lack of information. And it's, it's really, uh, Trinidad is, is a, an excellent example of this. Just to give you a little bit of background on this area, before cannabis, natural gas drilling was a, a huge, huge, huge thing here. Okay. And it, this was actually a very wealthy town, a large natural gas driller called Pioneer. That was it. If, if you lived in Trinidad, unless you were working at a gas station or, or something, if you were on a career path in Trinidad, you were working at, at, at Pioneer, just the way that it was. They passed anti-fracking laws 
few years before legalization, Pioneer had to, had to close up in this town. It, I mean, it was it was bad, bad. It was on they were on the verge of bankruptcy. It was it was yeah. so bad. Everybody, they were losing their residences at a astounding rate. And then once legalization hit, they Los Angeles County, which is the the county that Trinidad is in, decided they're just going to be as absolutely liberal with these licenses as possible. Yeah. And it's completely turned around. Cannabis has saved this town. The economy is, is completely turned around and uh, some would argue that they're doing even better now with the revenue generated from the dispensaries than they were when Pioneer was here. Oh, it's, yeah. I mean, it, and, and they're just continuing to grow. Yeah, it's a heavy industry compared to cannabis cultivation or um, or retail. So why did you go into retail and not go into cultivation or any other part of the industry? Well, there was a couple of reasons. First of all, their cultivation in Trinidad is rather lacking. There, there are some, uh, but the majority of the farms are, are a little bit further up north. Yeah. Uh, so the commute was a mitigating factor in that, and also has a lot of customer service experience. Okay. And in dealing with the public, that that was a, a big turn on to me. I, I, I like meeting new people, and I like I like helping people, and I'm very passionate about cannabis. So, and I'm knowledgeable as well. So I felt like those skills would be best applied on the retail side of things. To be perfectly honest, I really didn't know a whole lot about cultivating the, the plant myself, aside from, you know, maybe some YouTube videos or something like that. But my knowledge pool was definitely far, far more shallow on and in that aspect. So I, I just I felt like uh, like re- the retail side of things would have w- was best suited for my skill set. How did the expectation of working in the industry match up against the reality? What surprised you? Number one, the the regulations and how and how heavily regulated it was. No. Prior to starting within the industry, especially when you when you first get exposed to it, it's it's really easy to not view it like a normal business. Expecting when I, like when I first moved here and, and I and I made my first legal transaction or my first legal purchase, I was really expecting to get like the Cheech and Chong routine from my blood tender. I was I was just as stereotypical and goofy as that sounds. Uh, that, that's really what I was expecting. And to see how professionally a lot of these places are run, again, a lot, not all, for the most part, you know, they, they treat it and run it like a, like a legitimate business. And that really surprised me. Um, but in, in a good way, you know, I've, I've, especially once I, I got, I started working in the industry myself, I feel like it's critical if we're, especially if we're going to move away from the negative stigmas that surround cannabis, that we on in the industry we 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 really treat it like that. If we if we want to be taken seriously as business people and uh, as a business, we we have to, to operate as such. Right. And that really surprised me. Another thing that really surprised me as well the amount of tourist traffic that we've seen. You know, obviously, I, I was expecting you know people come to Colorado and, and want to check out the dispensaries or whatever. But I, I really didn't have a very deep understanding of just how much tourist traffic it brings <laughs> to the state. I mean, it's 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 kind of crazy. I would say in a, in a day we probably see more Texas and Oklahoma IDs than we do Colorado. I mean, mm. it's just that was very surprising. I really thought that there would be a stronger local market. And that's not to say that we don't have locals because we definitely do. The scales are dramatically in the, the favor of tourists versus local business. Yeah. What advice do you have for any, so you, you do all the, I assume you do the hiring at your company? Yes. Okay. So yeah. what advice do you have for the job seekers out there? What does it take to get 
a job in cannabis? Well, my the biggest piece of advice that I could give anybody trying to get a job in in cannabis, number one, is to treat it act professionally. Treat it like uh, any other job that you would be going for. Just because we're selling cannabis doesn't mean that we're not serious individuals and we don't take what we do seriously. So that would probably be the biggest one. My the net, aside from that, compliance. Learning your compliance laws is a huge turn on as far as employers when they're looking for prospective employees. The more that you know about compliance and how to properly do our job and to do so lawful at all times, the better your chances are going to be when you're seeking a job because not not that you wouldn't get trained because obviously you're, you're going to have training no matter what, but from an employer standpoint, it's very attractive, to, especially if you don't even have any in the industry experience prior to that, that you've done your homework and you know or at least have a basic understanding of the rules and what's expected of us. Yeah, like the you know, because compliance is the, the vast majority of people have no clue. And compliance is really the most important aspect of what we do. It allows us to remain and to keep our doors open and continue to help the people that we help and to continue to grow as an industry. For the people that don't know what you mean by compliance, give me an example of, of some compliance as a bud tender. What are some things that, okay, so that I have to do? Number one, the, the most important one is, is, is daily limits, knowing what is a, a legal amount of product that you can sell to an individual in a day versus when you're selling too much. So it's, it's an ounce a day in Colorado, which sounds you know like, it's, like it should be a no-brainer, especially to a smoker. Right. Uh, the, where, it get, where it begins to get tricky is that we sell products that are not just cannabis. You know, We sell cannabis-infused products. Right. And each one of these products, depending upon uh, the weight or size of the unit, for example, a 100-milligram edible, the equivalent of an eighth of marijuana. The same logic applies to a gram of concentrate, like wax or shatter, or even vape carts. So, you, you, knowing your equivalents and mm. the ability to the ability to do that math on the fly, like okay, this this customer has bought a quarter ounce of flour and they want to buy max out the rest. They want to get the rest of the limit in edibles. Well, I know that two hundred milligram edibles is equal to a quarter ounce of flour, so they can get six one hundred milligram jars of edibles if they chose to do so, or this vice versa with concentrate. So that's important. Another, another real important one, packaging, exit bag laws. You got to make sure that we're selling, the product is in a MED compliant packaging when it leaves our shop, as well as a, a compliant exit bag, which that's, you would think that that's, that's a pretty standard no-brainer as well, but you would be shocked at how many dispensaries I went to uh, where you, they'll just let you walk out of, the, out of the front door with the product in hand. No bag, no nothing. That's big, big no-no. You get get shut down very easily that way. So there's that. Then then there's you know the ID check. Um, so we're technically required to check ID when you come in the door, as well as at the point of sale. So the way that it works is, if there if if you as the customer come to my dispensary and you make a purchase, and then you leave and you decide I'm going to leave the state with the product, which is highly illegal. I want to be on record as yeah. saying so. And don't do that. I don't recommend that anybody do do this. Right. But let's just say for the sake of the conversation that you chose to do so, and uh, you get pulled over in, in an illegal state, and they find our product in your car. Whatever officer found that, they'll, they'll call, they'll contact the MED in Colorado, and they will let them know. And then the MED will actually call us and request video footage of the transaction in question. Mm. And they will look to, to make sure that the bud tender 
did everything that they were supposed to do by the book, like checking the ID a second time at the register, making sure that they didn't oversell to that particular customer, yeah. uh, making sure that the exit bag properly secured, just little nuances like that. But having the knowledge of, of compliance and the rules that you're supposed to be abiding, abiding by what it helps mitigate that that is an issue. I've had this, I've ran into this, I think, three times in the last two years. Never had uh, a compliance failure um, with any of my employees, uh, myself nice. included. And that, that just comes down to making sure that the employees are, and myself, are, are up to date and educated on all of the different laws. As a butt tender, the regulations really, I mean, it, it really just comes down to packaging, weight, and checking IDs. You know, yeah. that's that's pretty much the, the extent of what you need to be concerned with as far as the rules and, and compliance goes. When you get into management and you're, and you're more involved in the actual backroom operations of the business, then we start getting into like metric, uh, which I'm not, I believe Michigan uses metric as yeah. well. Yeah, we are. Yeah. So, um, and you, real, real quick that, for those that don't know, metric is a seed to sale tracking system. That's the, the correct. overarching the compliance program. program. Yeah. So yeah, they, they, that's when you start getting a little bit deeper into the, the regulations and your knowledge pool needs to be a, a great, a great deal deeper than as just an entry level butt tender. You're responsible for a lot more, so, you know, a lot more. Surely. Yeah. Exactly, and, and keeping track of your inventory and making sure that everything's being reported to the state properly. Uh, and now, point of sale systems have made leaps and bounds yeah. in the way of reporting the metric, which is really nice. But for a long time, man, you would have to manually input everything. So at the end of each day, you would, have, you would take a document that had all of your sales, all of your transactions for the day. And you would then have to enter all of that information into metric. That's a, yeah, it was a, a real pain in the butt. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> you, you're trying to get out of there and right. you got to an hour, hour and a half of paperwork. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, it is what it is. Now, these point of sale systems are a lot better. They're, they're integrated a lot better with, with metric and they'll, they'll communicate both ways rather than metric just communicating with the POS. That's, they're not perfected by any means. But that that was a huge hurdle to get over uh, in in the beginning stages of legalization. Here, yeah, the, the point of sale system and then finding people almost as aggressive of a market currently than cannabis retail itself. There's so many cannabis POSs out there now, or cannabis pieces of shit, I should say. <laughs> uh, it, it's it's kind of crazy. Some are better than others, but yeah, that's another another uh, key piece of advice that I would give to any. Anybody that's that's looking to get into the industry, you know, because these, these point of sale systems they don't function the same as like a McDonald's or, or a gas station, you know, cash register. But it's same basic concept. It's a lot more involved, and you can do a lot more. I guess I would recommend learn your point of sale system. You know, the the yeah. more knowledgeable that you can be on the equipment that whatever store you're you're working at or looking at working at. Now, users, it's only going to benefit you. Like I stated early, early on in this conversation, cannabis industry is, is very unique in the fact that you have the ability to write your own ticket. Mm-hmm. If you, the, the, if you go out of your way to make yourself an asset to your company in, in the way of learning your point of sale system in and out and learning your law, your, your compliance laws, that all com- combined with, you know, obviously basic day to day, be to work on time and basic uh, common sense stuff in the right. workplace. <laughs> uh, 
it, it will take you a, a really long way because the, the fact is a lot of the people that get into this industry, especially on the bartender levels, you, you're dealing with a lot of younger individuals that aren't necessarily as career-minded as some may be. So finding employees in this industry that are that that are willing to take the time to actually learn learn the things necessary to uh, be valuable in a in a manner that's more than just selling some bud to a customer. It, it's 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 rare, which is why I'm so grateful for Brett. He it's been my experience that the and again not always, but the majority of the the people that I've came into contact with that have really excelled in the industry and turned it into a career path uh, were, were were more experienced and generally older individuals. Yeah. That would, so yeah, you should go into the industry with that mindset. You know, I, I want to learn everything that I can. Don't get me wrong. There's the, the novelty of, oh man, I'm sorry. I can't believe I'm getting paid to sell pot. Yeah, everybody's <laughs> going to have that. Yeah, but, yeah. you know, at the point that that, that subsides and, and you settle in, you really, really should just do your, your best, be as knowledgeable as possible. And you really can go far. Just to put that into perspective, I, so I've been in the industry for three years. Of the three years that I've been in the industry, I've been in some way, shape, or form a member of a management team for just just about two and a half of those three years. You really, you know, can grow rapidly, especially if you get in with a company uh, that is in in its growing stages itself. Yeah, the opportunity for growth in a large chain is still there. I would say that it's probably not as fast tracked. Yeah. As uh, you know, a company that's still growing, and that it could be a double-edged sword too, because the, the, as I'm sure you're aware, as, as a business owner, the sale rate for cannabis-related businesses is, is rather high, uh, especially if it's not done correctly. Yeah, that comes down to a, a team effort, you know. And if everybody is doing their part and what they what they're supposed to be doing, they definitely can something can be made out of it, and. That's the, the most critical advice I can give. You just know your own worth and apply yourself in the best way that you can. Well, effort uh, effort is the difference maker, without a doubt. And I, I've said many times, you know, I'll take somebody who will put in the effort over somebody who's skilled because I can teach the skills. That's not that's not the problem. Absolutely. I can't teach attitude. So absolutely. And and I couldn't agree more that I mean the fact that you went from entry level to to management in two years. No, that that doesn't that doesn't really happen in any other industry. I mean, thinking about restaurants or something like that. Unless something catastrophic happens at that business, most people are not going to be able to to fill the ranks that quickly. And that's just because there's there's a line. You know, there are people there. Absolutely. But as you said, as these businesses come online, and what we're talking about is a company that has one shop and then they open another, and then maybe they open another. Well, there's right. boom, that creates the opportunity to move from entry level into sub management into management into maybe a directorship. And then from right. directorship, maybe executive, maybe consultant, maybe entrepreneur. Who knows? That's what's right. exciting. To even be able to say that you have that level of opportunity available to right. you is just so starkly different from the vast majority of, of any other industry you can get into. Generally speaking, unless you're running your own operation, you're not going to experience that kind of growth that rapidly. It's just just the way that it is. Just a little background on myself. Before, prior to the industry, 
Uh, I actually had a construction work background. I, I was a general contractor for about seven years. It's very different. I also, uh, I've, I've worked for the railroad for a couple of years. I've, I've tried various different career paths prior to this. And yeah, it's very unique in that regard. You know, your, your only real limitation is yourself because it's such a, it's such a, a, a fresh, you got to think too, you know, we, we, Colorado has been recreational legal for what, five or six years now, I believe. Somewhere, somewhere in that ballpark. Some people, yeah, that, that may sound like a long time, but when we're talking business, that's, I mean, that's such a, such a small amount of time when you're talking about building an entire industry from scratch. The market's constantly changing and, and, and constantly expanding. And there couldn't be, in my opinion, a better time to, if you're interested in a career in cannabis, to pursue it. Because yeah, we're, in, we're still in the, the, the infancy stages, even here in Colorado. I, w- I would have to, if I were to go out on a limb, I would say that Colorado and, and Michigan and California probably are, are miles ahead of, of other legal states as far as market stability yeah, and, and regulations yeah. that actually work. Being in operation. Uh, yeah. Right. But that being said, we're, we're still early on here too, you know? Oh, and, yeah best time to get in with any with any kind of organization or in any kind of industry is in, in the early stages because you have the unique opportunity to grow with the industry and the business that you're working with. Well, it, And that's just yeah. such a rare thing to find. And it, and it becomes like, hey, you were here when it sucked. When things were all messed up, like, you were down for us, so we're down for you. Okay. Exactly. It's basically like a ride or die. Like, oh, you're ride or die. Okay. You know, cool. I mean, it really is, though, you know? Yeah. And that kind of loyalty is, is, is yeah. rewarded. Yeah, and also it's it's reputation setting. I mean, in the cannabis industry, your reputation is everything. And I would say protect mm-hmm. it and and do everything that a person can do to to bolster it. And network, you know, get, like like you – Literally, you're the prime example. You're out on break, probably getting some fresh air and not talking to people and customers for a couple of minutes. And you're shooting the uh-huh. shit with another guy at another shop. And he's like, oh, hey, we need we need an AGM. And you're like, oh, cool. Well, let me come over here. Like, boom, that's exactly <laughs> that's, it. That's exactly, that's literally how it happened too. And another thing <laughs> is, uh, another thing that really helped me in, in the networking regard, forging relationships with various vendors <laughs> throughout the state which is another another key piece of advice I could I could give you. You know, the, the vendor contacts are super super important, especially oh, yeah. if you're looking to to grow in the industry and and you really want to make a career out of it. I would try to get to know every vendor that comes through my store. Obviously, try to do so without being obnoxious and, and disrupting the flow of the workplace. Yeah, those are all they're all assets to you. You know, if you walk into in, into five dispensaries consecutively. The majority of the products that, that all of these dispensaries are, are going to be carrying, with the exception of a couple, with, with a few exceptions, uh, are going to be vastly different. There's so many yeah. suppliers in the state. You know, I, I but when I when I got offered the GM spot at the new at the new store, I had already compiled a, a, an extensive list of vendor contacts that they weren't carrying in affordable price points and. It's just knowledge, knowledge, knowledge. Knowledge is power, and that's a that's a huge asset to you. Well, those outside, because, those outside sales reps, you know, those they're they're running around. They're talking to everybody. So as far as like exactly like and, hey, and what's going everything. on? Like they can be like, oh, you know what's going on in Aurora? Blah 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 blah. Like oh, okay, cool. Good yeah, 
That's great. And also, too, we're thinking about, you know, we're looking at new vape companies. Well, I know these guys that fly, they have, you know, we can get vapes for $8 a unit. It just helps to further interject yourself into the mix of the more the more day-to-day operations, of yeah. the backroom operations of the business. Right. And the more the more that you can do to make yourself an asset to your your organization in that regard, yeah. the better off that you're going to be. Yeah. And, um, the, the retail and, and, and a lot of people a lot of people don't they don't look at, at especially in retail that way. Like they're they're just I'm just gonna go to work, I'm gonna do what I'm responsible for, and I'm gonna go home. And you, you can be an excellent employee working under that under that uh that line of thinking but as far as like trying to t- really reap the benefits and and the opportunity for the opportunity for growth that is available yeah. to you you really need to kind of be looking at things outside of the box well yeah uh, yeah i mean and you can it, it's an industry where you can create your own job and i've said this many times exactly where right. it's something like hey you know what the boss doesn't even know that we need this and i have the skill set I'm going to go and talk to him. But that's after some, some time has passed and some mutual respect is earned. And then there's that, re- that common ground of, of respect and rapport. That's what's exciting is that just because your job isn't there today doesn't mean that it won't be tomorrow. So, right. you know, and honestly, if a person is getting into cannabis, they need to be advanced but minded because there's no other industry where a person can get in and rapidly climb the ladder in a meaningful way. So... Yeah, you're, right. pre- you're preaching to the choir on that one. I'm going to switch yeah. gears a little bit so, since we're talking about workers and the teams and everything like that. So you're in a leadership position. What do you do at your company to keep the morale high? How do you prevent burnout? Well, so that's uh, there, there's, there's a lot that goes into that, actually. And it's really one of the most important aspects of a leadership role, uh, in my opinion. You know, the, the higher the morale of your employees, uh, the, the, the better they're going to perform for you. That's just, that's just cold hard fact. And I achieve this by variously. I incentivize going above and beyond your call of duty. I might, I might, a couple of times a week, I'll, I'll buy the entire crew lunch or dinner. There's busy work to be done or things that need to be done that, that would generally like rolling joints. So that's a great example for what we do. And any listener that, that, <laughs> That sounds ridiculous too. Like, oh man, people really complain about rolling joints. Oh my god! When you're when you're rolling when you're rolling hundreds or even yeah. thousands of them at a time, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it starts to lose its novelty. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, and that's just an arbitrary example. But the point is, if I don't have anything that is that is pulling my that requires my immediate attention, back management responsibilities go, and there are there is busy work to be done. I'll get right on right out there on the floor. Uh, and help all of my employees getting their whatever it is that needs to be done done. Yeah, a lot of management managers that I've had in the past in different industries or different jobs that that's just that's not what they do. You they're going to tell you what to do and you're going to be expected to go do it right without complaint. That's just yeah. going to be I'll, that. I'll be in the office with my feet on my desk. Don't bother me. Exactly. <laughs> leave, leave me alone and go go do what I tell you to do. And you know that's fine. You've earned the right to do that. That's all good and fine. But that's not how you inspire respect and productivity uh, from your employees. Right. You know, if it goes a long way to see somebody that standing next to me that that makes double or triple what I make and are responsible for a lot more important aspects of the job than maybe rolling a, a pre roll joint, standing there helping me get this stuff done makes it a lot easier to 
do the more mundane and monotonous tasks that come along with your job if you know, not just feel like, but you really know that the person that you're working for cares just as much about it getting done as you do and yeah. is willing to assist you in that. It, it, it also, too, like uh, within reason, if, uh, you know, m- any of my employees need like a day off for like a, a family deal or, or, uh, you know, I, I, I try to, to stay really flexible uh, and I, I cover a lot of shifts for my employees. I mean, I just do anything. I, I don't take tips. You know, I, I, I let all, whatever, whatever employees are working, they, your tips are yours. Keep them. You're not, you don't got to cut me in, nice. um, which you would be absolutely surprised how many salaried members of management are forcing 13 or $14 an hour bud tenders to split their tips with them, which I find wow. utterly ridiculous. But that's that's a whole other issue. Yeah, it's, greedy it's, it's fucks. little things. Jesus, that's so greedy. Yeah, I mean, it's terrible. I mean, it really is. Like I am getting paid a great deal, not to be you know braggadocious because it's not what I'm. The point I'm making. But I'm, I'm, I'm all, we're already on different pay scales. Why do I? I don't need right. to, to put my hand into your pocket. <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? That, that, that those tips are an incentive for you to work harder for me and, and to provide better service to my my customers. So. You know, anything that I can do to make the lives of my employees better in the quality of life in the workplace better for them, I, I'm, I'm, I'm all over that. And it's, they're, they're such simple things, you know, yeah. help, help get the fucking busy work done, right. cover a shift if they need it. Uh, obviously we need we expect our employees to, to have, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. good attendance, but the, the point is, is the more flexible you can remain with your staff and, I truly care about each individual that works for me, you know, on a, on a more personal level. Obviously, you have to remain professional and, and you can't allow that right. to uh, cloud your judgment. But at the same time, if there's anything that I can do that's reasonable to accommodate my employees and, and make them enjoy coming to work, I'm going to do it. It's, 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 right. just, it's mutually beneficial to both the culture and the atmosphere that I'm trying to create in my store. All right, so and I'm I'm going to hop on the other foot here. What is the fastest way for me to get fired? Uh, the fastest way for you to get fired is uh, to break and do things that are non-compliant to the state. Anything anything that could put the the store, the company at risk, or the jobs of your coworkers at risk, it, it just it can't be tolerated. Um, it it really would depend on the infraction, but like there are certain ones over selling more than an ounce mm. that you, that's your, you, you just punch your own ticket. That's like the number one thing that gets drilled into each butt tender. This is it. 28 grams or the equivalent, not a, a point more. Yeah. And if you're, especially if knowingly or unknowingly, the most important part of our job, you cannot oversell. And if you do anything to jeopardize that or the wealthy, the well-being of your coworkers or your your employer, then yeah, you have to go. That, I have not ever had to fire an employee for compliance reasons. And I, I have had to let go of a few people while I've been in the industry, but that all came down to poor attitude and, and on-the-job performance. You'll find, you know, I have yeah, been, in that, my experience. What does that mean? Way, what does that mean? What were they, you know, without name dropping or anything, but... What does that mean? What were they doing? Well, it, not doing. in most of these situations, there were mitigating factors in these individuals' personal lives. Well, that's speculation on my on my behalf. 
I have a, a, a personal relationship with the majority of my, my employees in the regard that we, we conversate throughout the day and, and I, I learn things about their lives. I don't, I don't yeah. mean like I have, I'm personally invested <laughs> in them. All right. But I, I mean, like, I, you know, your I try to get to know my people. Yeah. And the majority of these individuals that I've ended up having to let go, there were things going on in their personal life that ultimately spilled into their performance in shop. And it translated into negative customer experiences. Whilst me personally, especially if an employee in question has been with me for any amount of time, I I try to, I don't want to have to fire anybody. Yeah. Obviously, it's a necessary part of the job and it's yeah. part of my role. But we're all we're all here to, to try to survive, you know. And yeah. I don't want to take anybody's livelihood. I want to give you every opportunity you have possible to protect your livelihood yeah. before before I, I, I ultimately decide to take it away from you. I would, would try to correct, you know, the, we'll call it an, an, an issue of attitude as best as I could with these individuals. And sometimes it worked. If it didn't, then we'd, we'd probably have to part ways and go in a different direction. I got another question for you. Where are, are you getting a lot of applicants to work at your shop and then where are they coming from? Are they coming from restaurants? Are they coming from college? Boomers looking for second so careers? It, it, that is a, a great question. And the, the answer would surprise you. Literally everywhere. I, I, ha, I get applicants that are freshly 21 in college that have never had a job to bartenders, to restaurant fucking employees, dishwasher servers, all the way up to engineers. I, I had a gentleman just last week, the gentleman was, I, I believe, 44 years old and had a master's degree and was a, was a, an en- a literal engineer and just wanted, he wanted to do something new. We literally see people from any and all walks of life, which is it's, it's very surprising to me to have seen that. You know, you think that prior to coming to really getting in, acquainted with the industry, you would think that, you know, this, this is a, a young guy's job. This is a younger person's job. And you, there's a certain, there was a certain stereotype I had in my head yeah. about the type of individual that I would be dealing with yeah. that was selling me my weed. And that just couldn't have been further from the truth. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've, I've had employees from fresh out of college to pushing 50. It just, it, it, they come from all different walks of life. Yeah, and I think that's it's, what uh, it's really a unique industry in that regard. Uh, and that's what I, I think that's the greatness in the cannabis industry is just the sheer amount of diversity that it pulls in. I mean, there's there's a huge issue with the industry looking like me. You know, I'm a I'm a bearded white dude. That's what <laughs> I mean. That, but that and that's what it's been. But when we look underneath the hood, there the priority for hiring diversity of color and of background is a priority because you get a stronger team. So that, that's yep. kind of what I was hoping to hear. So that's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it it really surprised me. But this is the the most diverse industry that I've ever ever been a part of in terms of the the hiring pool and, and the types of people that we're seeing that are that are looking in the applicants. Is, I guess I could say it's it's really cool. So it's not a very physically intense job. So you what you see is opportunity for everybody, regardless of age ethnicity or physical capabilities or lack thereof. Yeah. Um, which is not, it's very nice to be able to present an opportunity to say anybody. If you have the ability to stand up and you have the ability to speak, you have an opportunity to work in a century somewhere. I mean, that's, yeah. that's, that's what it is. Okay. So back to your career, where do you want to see your career grow? 
Yeah. Well, I can't talk. Good thing I can edit. (laughs) (laughs) So my career, I would like to see my career has to be executive from where I'm at now. That's a a few years down the line. Yeah. What will realistically probably end up happening is we'll open up a, a third location in a larger market. I would ideally, in a perfect world, transition to the new location. Lord willing, if, if Brett is still at my is still with our that organization at that time, he would be <laughs> in position to step up into my role. Or if he was interested in coming with me, that would be great as well. He's, he's an excellent member too. Yeah. But yeah, I'd, I'd like to transition into more of an executive role. Uh, in the company, potentially uh, at some point, probably many, many years down the line, uh, entrepreneurship. I, I would really like to see myself training somebody like myself to run a store for me. That's really been kind of the end game for me. Easier in theory than it is in practice. <laughs> uh, but you know, it, Rome wasn't built in the day. Yeah, and I, I am happy with the progress that I have made in the amount of time that I have had towards that end goal. I'm an operations guy, period. Boots on the ground, rubber meets the road. Let's fucking get at it. Like, let's do the work. Right. And so I like I like operators because of that. <laughs> and then right. my pathway to leadership was from operations. So thinking about the pathway to entrepreneurship, which I think is fucking awesome. Way to go, Glenn. Seriously, that's that's exactly how I, I did it. That's how I advise other people to do it. And would you go back to school? Would, do you see any formal training or is it just all on the job? And I don't think there's a wrong answer. I just want to, I just want to know what your thoughts on that are. Well, I think that if your goal is to, to open your own store, which that's my that's my end goal, regardless of how long that may or may not take. School is critical in that regard. I don't think that you need to, need to go to college for some crazy amount of time, but you should definitely uh, pursue some kind of uh, business degree, mm-hmm. especially if there are things that come along with running the business or owning the entire business and running the business versus just being a subordinate in said business. Yeah, that really need uh, to be knowledgeable. You know, you don't want to just be winging it. So yeah, I I would a hundred percent at the point that it looks like approaching the financial goal of being able to do what I'm what I would like to do uh, as far as opening my own business is concerned. Yeah, uh, yeah, I a hundred percent plan on on seeking out uh, some further education. Just so that I, I'm, you need to be acquainted with business law. You need to be acquainted with some standards on on how people generally operate yeah. in the business place. There's there's just things that you need to know that I don't. And I think part of being successful or trying to become successful is being man or woman enough to admit that there are things that you don't know, and being humble enough to learn them from somebody that does. Yeah, you know, it's it's astounding how easy it is to just go ask somebody who knows more than me, which is everybody about everything pretty much. <laughs> and just say, Hey, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. How do I do this? But I, so for example, podcasting, I've only been doing this for uh, you know four months, realistic. So I, have no, so I have no idea what the hell I'm doing. So I just reach out to, to people and I say, Hey, how do I run a, run a compression? How do I do EQ? How do I smooth out and make this like NPR quality? But I, I come with questions and I say specifically, how do I run this compression? How do I do this EQ? These are the programs. This is what I have. 
And people go, oh, cool. You're not taking a piss in my ear. You respect my time. And now I'm going to help you. And it's not, it's not hard. It's, it's not, that's what's shocking to me is that it's not hard to ask for help. It's all you, all, all, all you do is just say, Hey, will you help me? No, as a matter of fact, the hardest part of asking for help is admitting that you need to ask for help. <laughs> yeah. What happens more often than not is whenever I talk to another grower, it turns into a four hour conversation or anybody for that matter, because I love talking about my work. So when someone right. asks me a question and they, they want to chew my ear off, I'm like, Oh buddy, you better pack a lunch and some coffee because we're going to be talking because I'm excited to talk about this thing that I've chosen to do with my life. So, right. <laughs> you know. Well, and, and you know, but that's that, how, how great is that though? You know, oh, yeah. oh, uh, we, yeah. we're, we find ourselves in a position where we're, we, we actually get to do something with ourselves that we, we truly enjoy. Yeah. And it's, it's, yeah. it's such a rare thing for people to say, you know, I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, I was pretty much taught that a job is just that it's a job. There, there, there is, oh, I want to go to work. I, I want to hold on for a job that I enjoy. That was a, a whole hearty line of thinking. You know, I was taught to get up and go to work whether you like it or not. And so to find myself, you know, at the age of 30 with a career that I really, really enjoy, it's really, it's, it's something that not very many people get to say. Yeah. It's very fortuitous. And it's, it's nice. It's really nice to be able to, it makes it so much easier to get up every day and to go do whatever it is that you do when you love what you do. Right. And there's, there's days more often than not that I eat shit. I'm just like, oh, my God. <laughs> and, you know, that's that's the game. You know, that's I'm, I'm the boss, and that's my job is I try to eat as much shit as I can. That way my team doesn't have to. That's, that's, that, that is exactly right. right. And, and it's so nice to hear somebody with that mentality. Right. Because, like I said, the more, the, more, the, the more that I can put on my shoulders, the less you have to deal with and the happier you're going to be. Right. Which, in turn, <laughs> makes my life easier in the long run. But you know what's happened is in early early days, it's just eating shit. That's all it is. That's all the beginning part of entrepreneurship <laughs> is, is how long can I stand here and just get this shit kicked out of me? And then how quickly can I start throwing some punches back? And that's, right. it's just attrition. That's it. Endure. And, but what I found more often than not is, and this has happened a lot more frequently is I, like yesterday, I went to go get a sandwich and I went, I'm working. Okay. I've been working for five hours today. And I was like, I feel like I'm just fucking off. I feel like I'm playing hooky from life because <laughs> this, this doesn't suck. I'm not pissed. Nothing. There's no Godzilla stomping around in my life during that moment. <laughs> and I just went, right. cool. This is work. I love it. And I get super fired up <laughs> and excited because the, the industry can provide that for other people in their own ways. I love doing what I do the way that I do it. I don't want to do anything else. And there's, there is that much excitement and stoke available for everybody else if they get in. And yep. I just, I just think that it's the, the single greatest opportunity of our generation for work life balance and work enrichment. I just the amount of the, it's not very often that I talk to somebody in the industry that is like, fuck this. I hate it. Right. More, more often than right. I, I talk to people and they're like, I'm exhausted. And Fuck, I, I got to go so weak day. And sleep deprivation is, is the number one thing more than anything. But <laughs> right. Okay. Well, you know, this has been an hour and 20 minute podcast. You probably go out another hour, <laughs> but <laughs> easily. Yeah. So what questions, thoughts, concerns do you have for me? Well, uh, so yeah, what, what exactly, because I guess I, I never really asked is, 
what do you, you what do you do in the industry in uh, in Michigan? Yeah, so <laughs> it depends on the day and it depends on the time of the day. <laughs> to be honest, right? Pretty diverse. So I've got two main gigs. One, I'm the founder and owner of Handgrown.Jobs, which is a company that connects okay. cannabis job seekers to cannabis employers. And it's a free resource. So people just upload their their profile and they make a resume. And it's basically like the match.com or the Indeed of Weed, but way better. So <laughs> that's that's what I've been doing for the last, oh, since 2017. It's been live since 2000. 18, 19-ish. Nice. Um, so, Coming up on a couple years. Yeah, you know, but a lot of it is just me spending a ton of money and then fucking up and then spending more money and fucking up in a different way, <laughs> which is fine. I, entrepreneurship. Right. I I like the fight. I like the challenge. If, if it was easy, I would be bored and I wouldn't be doing it. So I spend a lot of my time doing that, you know, just – talking to developers and thinking about ways that I can build that company. The next thing I right. do is I'm the chair of a nonprofit organization called Our Cannabis, which primarily focuses okay. on cannabis workforce development. The issue that we solve is organizations, for example, like Michigan Works, who receive federal funding are prohibited from helping cannabis job seekers. So Michigan Works is a humongous organization. They're fantastic at what they do. If a person needs a resume, skill development, to practice, to practice interviews, to find a job, they could walk into a Michigan Works branch and they could get all those things right there at that office. It's fantastic. Right. For free. Except for if you're pursuing a career in cannabis, which is, which is fucked up because the cannabis industry is essential and it's hiring right. when jobs are the number one thing in the economy right now. And here's this monolithic organization who has robust capabilities and resources that can't help people that need to help the most. So, right. By the way, what, what an interesting pressure that, that this has been too, with this whole coronavirus, uh, with cannabis jobs being named deemed essential. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, I think, I think that's a, that was a, a very huge. shocking to me. Yeah. But, and it was yet huge for our industry. Yeah. Oh, so he, I mean, that's, that's a cornerstone that, that normalization and legalization will be built on, you know, in the next decade or so. Exactly. So exactly, and it's very—it was crucial. I, 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 I was very happy uh, to see that. Yeah. I really was. It, it, it spoke to the progress that that we're making. Well, yeah. So, just a few years ago, states would use all of their resources to hurt the industry, and now right. the state is using their shield to protect the industry, and it says what an asset. As small as the cannabis industry is, which we talked about earlier, it's still a valuable asset to the states. And that's a huge paradigm shift in a very short amount of time. So that's that's fantastic, which has kept me very busy with the nonprofit because the need for our services is greater now than it ever has been. And it was it was huge before this. So right. I've spent my time developing this this nonprofit and fundraising. So I've been taking classes for the last eight months on fundraising major gifts. So between handgrown.jobs and fundraising major gifts for the for our cannabis, that's and, and going swimming and riding my Harley, which is just for my sanity. <laughs> 
that's basically where my time is. So when coronavirus hit, you know, we would go and do job fairs with handgrown.jobs. We would go and do physical events. I had nine months of events across the state scheduled for our cannabis. And coronavirus hit, and that was done. You know, there's no more physical events anywhere. And I went, holy shit. Like, I went, one, okay, great. You just saved the bottom line for me. Like, okay, that's very expensive. Now I don't have to spend that money, thank God. And then I went, oh my God, all these people that we were going to service, how do I service them? And so I went and spent a ton of money and I built a studio in a spare bedroom in my house and set up cameras and microphones and was like, okay, I'm going to start a podcast. I'm going to do a YouTube, Discord, Twitch, and we're just going to, and Zoom, we're going to do Zoom. We're going to do everything digitally. So I'm almost technologically inept. So I've had to learn how to set all these things up and then wait for it to get here and then learn how to use it, which is what I'm doing now. So it's, it's been very engaging for me to learn and and do all this stuff. And I still suck at it, um, which is, (laughs) which is fine. But, um, you know, it's take it till you make it brother. Well, yeah. Or just learn, you know, just figure it out and, and that's really what it is. So my days are pretty diverse and that that makes me happy because I don't like to do any one thing for more than a few hours and I want to go do something else. I feel that. Yeah, definitely. And it sounds, it sounds like you, you've achieved that. <laughs> yeah, sounds like you have a lot yeah. going on. Yeah, absolutely. And so all these organizations are, are infants. And so it just takes a ton of work. It takes a ton of effort, which I like. Cool. Like I said earlier, I am an operations guy. I I like being here doing this, and then I like being able to lift off into the, you know, the thirty thousand foot view, and then kind of look at things, and then drop down and land on something and solve it, and then take off again. So, right. But it's it's all because I chose to get into cannabis, and it, there were there were rocky roads for sure, and I took my lick my licks, and I've got my stripes, but I love it. I love it, and I just encourage everybody to get in as soon as they as soon as they can. So yeah, I mean, I, I'd have to agree with you. It's, it's really it's very it's a very uh, low stress, great, great, it's just a great quality of life, man. I've, I've never had a job like it, and I, I recommend it to everybody. If you're interested in cannabis, you're interested in pursuing the career in cannabis, go for it with everything you got, man. I agree. There's there's opportunity to make to make something of yourself. Uh, in that regard here and don't be discouraged by you know the negative stigmas or stereotypes you know it's a, it's a real legitimate business and it's, it's there's a lot of room for growth you should you should, you should pursue what what makes you happy and uh, if you're considering a job in cannabis just go for it man go for it Hell if you yeah. don't have any you from doing it get in there well you know what glenn i'm i i, I can hire you as a spokesman there you go there's the next career advancement opportunity <laughs> <laughs> We, uh, we, we we might be able to talk something down the line. I'd, 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 be, I'd be very interested in in, in doing something uh, doing something in that regard. But that's a conversation for another time. Yeah. Well, you know, I think we're at a I think we're at a point where we probably should call it because we'll just keep. I think we both have the gift of gab, which is good and something that a person needs in working in the retail side of of cannabis. Why don't we do this? Let's stay in touch, and as things are developing, I'm. Definitely curious to see how things change on your end as your career develops. I think it's just interesting to kind of watch the story of people's lives. So what I'd like to do is just let's stay in touch, you know, in like two months or something. Let's do this again. 
and just Absolutely. catch up. Absolutely. I, I actually, yeah, I actually uh, was going to say I'd, I'd love to do this again. It's been a very enjoyable experience for me, and I'd like to, I'd like to keep in touch. And likewise, I'd like to see you know uh, what what kind of challenges and, and or growth you've experienced uh, you know over the course of the next few months uh, in doing what you're doing as well. So yeah, that sounds like a, a winning the winning plan to me, man. Love <laughs> it. Love it. Well, yeah. Thanks for thanks for participating, Glenn, and sharing sharing all your candid thoughts. It's so nice to hear from people in the field. Thanks, I appreciate it. And after I publish this, I'll send you a link to it. Okay. Excellent. I'll be looking forward to that, and I appreciate the opportunity. And thanks for having me as a guest. Yeah. Thanks. Bye bye. All right. Later, brother. Okay. Well, that's the podcast with Glenn. You know, we're an hour and thirty one minutes in. <laughs> That's what happens when you get two people that have the gift of gab together on a podcast. <laughs> oh, yeah. So I think that we both got a little ranty and rambly there, and that's going to tend to happen. But Glenn definitely echoed and, and gave some great insights into working in the industry. You know, one of the things that I took notes on were the cannabis compliant workbook, like the do's and don'ts. And he brought up something that again, just, it didn't even, I didn't even think of it, but it's a huge component of working in a retail facility is knowing the equivalents. You know, when he was talking about knowing that 10 of these gummies equals a a thousand milligrams and that equals a half an ounce, being able to do that math on math on the fly, I think that's a huge difference maker. And it seems to me that that's going to be something that is going to be across the board, that if you're a person that wants to work in retail, you're going to have to know how to do that. And so that was definitely something that I learned was the the equivalence math on the fly, being able to know, okay, this combination of these products meets or exceeds or is below this daily purchase limit. So that uh, that was very insightful. You know, I, I, I think that Glenn and Brett run a run a pretty good ship out there. I bet they're busy and it seems like they have a good culture and they have a good mindset and that they're aware of where they're at in the industry and where they could go. And I I I would suspect that the team is the team's pretty stoked to be working with those guys. So, yeah, good good on you Glenn, good on you Brett, and thank you Glenn again for participating. And I look forward to following up with him in two months or so and just kind of seeing where he's at and how things have changed and developed. Hopefully this has been insightful for you and making a decision on whether you want to get into the cannabis industry or not. I'm going to take a guess. You know where I stand on that. I think you should, and you should do it now. And if you want to, then handgrown.jobs is here to help. It's a free resource for cannabis job seekers to connect with cannabis employers. You go to handgrown.jobs, create your profile to 100% upload your resume and start applying for those green dream jobs. If you need help with a resume, then our cannabis, the nonprofit workforce development organization can help you with that. Again, free resources for community members. If you need help making a resume, have questions, thoughts, concerns about getting in the cannabis industry, don't know if your skills translate into cannabis, then send a email with your information to contact at rcannabis.org. That's contact at that's contact at ourcannabis.org. 
and our team will be more than happy to help you with that. The next podcast is, yeah, here in about 20 minutes, we are doing a follow-up with Kenny. If you haven't checked that episode out, it's Kenny the Iron Worker Wants to Be a Grower. We are redoing his resume, and I've made an introduction to David, who was on another podcast. We've been doing a lot of podcasts. He's David, at the CEO at Lake Life Farms, and I've made an introduction between the two of them. So we're going to help Kenny with his resume real quick and then connect those two next week. And let's see if we can get Kenny a job over at Lake Life Farms. If he can, cool. If not, I mean, there's more opportunities. It's really exciting to see the process. I love watching people go through the process and get a job and follow up and and hear how things are going. If you want to share your story, then you can always reach out to us, Facebook, Instagram, Matt Hoffman, LinkedIn, Matt Hoffman, that's H-O-F-F-M-A-N-N, that's two N's. The two N's throws everybody. Or you can send an email to, guess what email I'm going to tell you? Contact at rcannabis.org. Contact at ourcannabis.org. And we would love to have you on the podcast if you're a job seeker at any level, be it intern to executive. If you have a story about working in cannabis that you want to share, then reach out and share your story. And I would love to hear it. And I'm sure other people would too. So thanks for listening to the Weed Work Blunt Talk about working in marijuana podcast. Make sure you subscribe and download wherever, whenever you get your podcast. And I'm just going to be working through the backlog. So there's going to be quite a few episodes coming up here in the next week or so. And I'm really excited to get that off my plate. And then we'll have more episodes coming up with interesting people in the cannabis industry. This has been Matt Hoffman, and I look forward to seeing you in the cannabis field. Mm -hmm.